You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. What we are about these few weeks are spending some time looking in the first couple of chapters of the Gospel of Luke at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important, significant birth in the history of the world. Today, we're going to go back into Luke chapter 1. We're going to get to verse 36. But before we get there, think for a moment of the most well-known, popular young woman in our culture today. This can be somebody in their teens or early 20s who comes to mind. You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about you know, what, what face name of somebody is running through your mind. Let me ask you about that person that you're thinking. Are they godly? Are they exemplary? Have they made a life-changing contribution to the world? In 2,000 years, will they be celebrated for what they stood for? Likely, no. Because we live in a world that's absolutely lost its way. Here's how it works. We're in this celebrity culture where celebrities will model and their followers will mirror. So to be popular, well-known, and followed, you need to say and do things that are pretty extreme, sometimes even rebellious and self-destructive. And then you advertise that through social media. And you get your followers, your fans, they are going to mirror what you're modeling. So they will drink what you drink. They will eat what you eat. They will think what you think. They will do what you do. And then your unusual behavior, after a little while, is kind of norm now. So what you have to do is ratchet it up. And you have to do something even more extreme, more dangerous in behavior and lifestyle so that you keep getting noticed. And many of us are wondering, when does it end? And where will it go from here? The problem is our culture is becoming increasingly more self-destructive, particularly for young people. That's just the world in which we live. So where do young people, young women in particular... Where do you look for examples? If not in culture and celebrity status, then where do you look? Well, today we're going we're gonna to look at the most influential, significant, most famous young woman in the history of the world. 2,000 years later, we still celebrate her. Her name is Mary. The question is, what's the key to her character? Because you see, there's really only three ways in which we can live. One is, I live for you. So that means your opinion, your approval is what matters most. And if we follow up on that, that means living for your applause, for your approval, and that becomes self-destructive. Second option is, I live for me. I need to love myself be true to myself, serve myself. But then what happens is that that's so selfish, I don't care about you. Mary found a third way. It was I live for God. This is a girl, probably mid-teens, who comes from a poor family, 
small rural town out in the middle of nowhere. She's engaged to be married, and the angel Gabriel shows up and says, God has a plan for your life. You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, if she were living for the approval of others, she would have said no, because her reputation would have been forever damaged. Of course, the people in this small town aren't going to think, yeah, right, (laughs) pregnant by the Holy Spirit. No, they're going to think, you were just unfaithful to Joseph. Now, what if she were living for herself? God, I'm not going to be Jesus' mother. This could end my engagement, end my marriage, ruin my reputation. Look, it's very difficult to be a mom, let alone raise the perfect child. I mean, you're the, you're the parent. You're thinking, all right, who do I spank? Because if there is a mess that's been made or a tantrum that's been thrown, it's not going to be him, right? Instead, what Mary says is, I am the servant of the Lord. We saw that. Where she demonstrates tremendous humility, great integrity, and she understands that her life is to be lived not for the approval of others, not for the convenience of self, but for the glory of God. She's young. But she's mature, and she has tremendous character. She's brave, she's courageous, she's strong, and she's probably just a teenager. That being said, we learn a little bit more about her story today. At that time, so this is where we left off. Elizabeth had uh, her cousin, she and her husband Zechariah have been told they will have a child, even though they are well up in years. And word has come to Mary that not only is she going to be birthing the Son of God by the Holy Spirit, but that Elizabeth, although she is well advanced, is going to have a child herself. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, we aren't told, we don't know exactly what town, but we know the region, Judea. Where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we saw a couple of weeks ago, they were extended family of Mary's. You know, curiously, the Bible doesn't say anything to us about Mary's parents. Where were they in all this? We don't know. In any case, she goes looking for some older, wiser counsel. She makes this journey probably as much as a hundred miles from where she was living to go to this couple. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is pretty far along in her own miraculous pregnancy. I say miraculous because, again, we were told they are past childbearing years. But like Mary, they have integrity. They have character. They are godly. Others may look upon them with disdain. Elizabeth, the reason why you don't have a child is because you did something wrong and God is punishing you. And Mary, (laughs) yeah, you can claim whatever you want to about the Holy Spirit. You're just a wayward child who lacks self-control. That's how others saw them. The culture may have looked upon them as despised. God looked upon them as his daughters. That means your identity is in your relation to God, not in relation to others. You get your identity from God 
But then that influences your other relationships. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. So what was in her womb? It was a baby. We know previously he already had a name. His name was John. He is named because he's a person. He leaps because he's a person who's alive. Now, I want to lovingly, humbly, but very clearly deal with something that's incredibly important, and that's life. That God is the living God. God is the author of life. And when the kingdom of God is to be fully realized in the second coming of Jesus Christ, there will only be life. There will be no more death. Now, for those of you who remember, what was Luke, the author of this gospel, what was his profession? He's a doctor, medical doctor. So here we have Dr. Luke teaching us about life, and it begins in the womb. Now, some of you may say, well, that's political. No, it's not. This is pastoral. This is biblical with political implications. This is a God issue with political implications. As I said last week, we don't want to live our lives dictated by culture, telling God that he should be and think like us. We want to live our lives with kingdom values, asking God how we should be and think like him. So now this is going to raise some questions. The first is this. What, a, what do I do if I have participated in the taking of a life? And this can be for men as well. Because some of you live under great condemnation, shame, guilt. Here's my response. There is forgiveness for you in Jesus Christ. That baby of Mary's comes to forgive sin. And this baby is going to grow to be a sinless man, the Lord Jesus Christ. God enters creation to save those who have rebelled against him. There is hope. There is help. There is healing in Jesus Christ. He died so that you might live. You confess that to Jesus Christ and let him lift that off of you. Okay, a second question. What happens to the baby? And this question applies not only to abortion, but do you know that one in seven pregnancies end in miscarriage? What happens to the baby? Well, here's the good news. God decides. And what does God know about us? It says in the Bible that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So what I can give you as an answer is the character of God. God is a father who loves his children. That God can save from the womb. Therefore, there is every hope for that child. And you just trust that one day you will meet them. And the third thing I want to point out to you, some of you might say, okay, Paul, I disagree with your stance on what you're saying for women in their own body. And my response to that is, you're wrong. Can I just be clear? You don't need to agree with me. You need to agree with God. The Bible says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says to 
take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All this to say is that we want to love you enough to bring you into alignment with God's will. We want this to be a place that doesn't reflect the culture back on us. We want to reflect the kingdom out to the culture because ours is a living God. And one day this culture will be gone and the kingdom will come and things won't be like this anymore. They will be as God intended them. So we love you. If you have already sinned, just like with all sins, confess it. Accept God's forgiveness so that you can move forward into God's way through God's word. The story continues. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity that empowered the life of Jesus is at work mightily in Elizabeth's life. So in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Mary, barely pregnant, makes roughly this 100-mile journey to Elizabeth who's much further along in her pregnancy. And when Mary comes into her presence, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. To be spirit-filled means God lived in her, God was going to live through her, and the power she lived by was supernatural. So much so that it enabled her to know deep things that were going on in Mary's life. And what is the result of someone being so attuned to God and knowing what he's up to is this. You become a life-giving person that blesses others. Man, may we be that kind of people that are so joy-filled and life-giving that others want a journey a hundred miles to be with you to receive that life-giving blessing. There's no other place in the world we can go for this. You can go shopping here, have dinner here, go to that movie there, uh, entertain yourself in this way. But where are you going to go to get a blessing? Where are you going to go to get encouragement? Where are you going to go to get life? That's God's house. And because the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth had already given entrance to God's presence in the way that they lived their life, Mary gets to be in the presence of God with the people of God, and she will eventually receive the praise of God. That's the kind of house we want to be. One of the things that God has laid on my heart for us in this next year is that we move forward toward what it means to be a life-giving place where we grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, and equally learn what it means to welcome others into the presence of God. And I pray that while you are here, you will experience God's presence, God's peace, God's pleasure, that you would receive life from God's word, that you would be feeling like you met with God when you left here, just like Mary felt when she left Elizabeth's presence. The story more. She says, but why am I so favored? That the mother of my Lord... Okay, so... What's the Lord doing at that very moment? The Lord is a baby in his mother's womb. Very early in her pregnancy, I might add. And Elizabeth, with great insight, says, there's my Lord. 
She's pointing to Elizabeth's belly. She says, I know who that baby is. That baby is the creator entering into creation. That baby is the maker coming to be our savior. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14 that the virgin will be with child. Can you say that today? Can you say Jesus is my Lord? The question is, is it Jesus who's going to be your Lord or is it someone else? Who is Lord over your life? And if it is anyone other than Jesus, then it is not life-giving. It is not eternity-altering. It is not soul-saving. She rightly says, there's my Lord. Again, the question, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me And then she tells Mary, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth saying, John jumped. The first charismatic worshiper of Jesus right there. John in the womb. If they had had pews in their house, Elizabeth would have had to jump over them because John would have made her. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The key is you want to be blessed, then you got to believe. You need to believe what God says. Mary is blessed because she believed. Those who believe are in that place that God blesses. You see, this story is about the entrance of Jesus into history. It's the beginning of the unveiling of the kingdom of God through the entrance of the king. But it's all countercultural. We're talking about a a, a very young, single woman. Another person in the story is an elderly, previously barren woman. And they're not in some high society, big city kind of happening. It's in the hill country, out in the middle of nowhere. But that's how the kingdom comes. It's going to come humbly. And it's going to come for those who love the Lord, for those who worship the Lord. Let me close with an application for us. Elizabeth's house is where she's finding that place for the family and the beginning of the kingdom. And that's how we should see the church, as a family. And as a family, we are an outpost of the kingdom where Jesus is Lord over all of life and everything is under his rule. And what we see here is that in the kingdom that's starting to reveal itself in culture, in this kingdom, chastity is practiced before marriage. We see that from Mary. Fidelity is practiced in marriage. We see that from Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah. We see that children are a blessing. We see that life is to be cherished and honored. We see young people going to older people for a relationship and that godly people are a source of life-giving blessing. And it's a kingdom value that we judge people not contingent upon race or age or social standing, but upon character. And Elizabeth and Mary both have great character. And their husbands, Zechariah and Joseph, have great character as well. And what we see is that the life of the kingdom flows out to bless others. 
It is my prayer that this church family would grow to be that kind of family. That we are life-giving in order to be a blessing to those around us. Before I close this portion in prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, just in the quiet of your heart. But to pray specifically for us being that family that can be life-giving and being a blessing to others. Uh, this past Wednesday in our, in our Bible study, it was brought to bear that, you know what we should be praying for is a revival. We, we would say, yeah, across the whole country, right? Absolutely. But it's got to start somewhere. What if it started with us? What if it weren't just about our church? What if every church and every community were to pray that? But it does have to start, and it needs to start with us. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.